Hey everyone, Peter Dugan here, and welcome to the podcast. If you like what we're doing, please consider making a contribution to our efforts at fromthetop.org. We are a lean, independent nonprofit and would be so grateful for your help. Thanks, and enjoy the program. From NPR, it's From the Top, celebrating the power of music in the hands of America's kids. Intellectual, brave, exuberant, those words describe the kind of young artists you're about to meet on today's program. I'm your host, Peter Dugan, and I'll be introducing you to these excellent people, including the fiery violinist Ethan Yang. He shares his beautiful and very personal experiences growing up with Asperger's syndrome. You'll also meet Dylan Scott. He's a teenage violist who also has a talent for astronomy. And up first is 16-year-old cellist Laura Karras, one of our Jack Kent Cook young artists. This girl loves music so much, her mom has been able to record her humming it even in her sleep. You'll hear Alora's love for music right now as she performs the Gigue from the Cello Suite Number no. 3 in C Major by Johann Sebastian Bach. <laughs> Thank you. 
The Gigue from the Cello Suite Number no. 3 in C Major by Johann Sebastian Bach, performed by 16-year-old Alora Karras from Shaker Heights, Ohio. Alora, I so enjoyed that performance. Your phrasing is delivered with such clear intention, and you bring so much life and personality to your Bach, which is one of the things that I love about playing Bach, too. There are just so many ways that, that we can make it our own, uh, and I love the way you made it your own. Thank you. For our listeners who have perfect pitch, they may have been surprised when I announced that as C major because, of course, it sounded like C flat major or B major. In other words, you were using Baroque tuning, and I know you have some strong feelings about Baroque tuning versus modern tuning because you have synesthesia. You're someone who sees color in music. Would you share how your synesthesia relates to these different tunings? I do. Well, since I see color when I play the notes, everything is completely different for each key. But, you know, that's not honestly the main reason why I did it in Baroque tuning, because honestly, Mm. I do it because that was the key, the original key, the tuning that Bach wrote it in, because that was what C sounded like back when he was alive. And I mean, what if Bach did have synesthesia? I mean, it can't really be proven now, but what if he did? And what if he saw colors when he was writing and he saw Mm. colors for those specific sounds and notes that he chose? And now we're tuning it up half a step in modern tuning and playing it in modern tuning which would be completely different colors, which I feel like does a disservice to Bach if those were not the original colors that he intended. And so that's why I do it. Right. So I am kind of hoping that you can show me and all of us who are listening right now the way these two different keys create different colors. So would you first play us a little snippet in that original Baroque tuning Mm -hmm. like you just performed it? Okay, well, for that Baroque tuning, I particularly see a lot of warm colors. It's browns and oranges, and it's almost like the colors you'd see in a fire. I I can almost imagine myself sitting in front of a fireplace. Okay, and now let's hear you play it on a cello tuned up to our modern tuning. becomes a lot brighter. I see sky blues. I see bright yellows, even a couple of bright purples. It's so bright and it is, it's joyful. It's more upbeat. I can almost imagine myself underneath the bright blue sky with the sun in an open field. It sound, it just feels completely different in terms of atmosphere. Wow. I certainly don't have synesthesia, but gosh, I can really hear that brighter sound and that brighter color in that higher version. Your love of music, Alora, started before you even knew what synesthesia was, before the cello. You were like five or six, I think, and you gained a reputation for singing. (laughs) I think I was a bit younger than that even. Back in my Wardolf school, I would sing nonstop. My teacher called me the little songbird because I would continuously (laughs) sing and I wouldn't even be aware of it most of the time. I would sing because I was happy, and I would usually express the happiness through singing. I also really love the feeling of the controlled breath for some reason. I don't, mm. it's, I wouldn't say it's therapeutic, however, it makes me very happy. 
And when I was little, my mother says she recalls me actually singing, well, not singing, singing, humming in my sleep when I was in a deep sleep as a little, little girl. Wow. I think she even recorded it. And is, is singing still part of your life? Oh, yes, very much so. I just started voice lessons for the first time in September. I had never had any before that. Wonderful. And also, you sing on the cello, too, when you play, I have to say. Thank you. Um, Laura, I, I just want to say thanks for being here and for sharing. You're just so full of, of joy, and thank you for, for sharing that with all of us today. No, thank you so much for having me. Laura Karras, 16 years old, from Shaker Heights, Ohio. If you subscribe to From the Top's podcast, you can download whatever episodes you want and listen on demand. They're available at fromthetop.org. For the last 15 years, From the Top and the Jack Kent Cooke Foundation have awarded over $3 million in scholarships to talented young musicians who have financial need. We still have more to give. Go to fromthetop.org to learn more. Peter. I got together to record with violist Dylan Scott in my old hometown of Philadelphia. We instantly hit it off, and he's just a great communicator, musically through his viola, of course, but in conversation as well. He was really able to articulate for me his musical ideas and choices very directly, grounding everything we were doing musically and just keeping us on the same page. Dylan is 18. He's from Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Here we are performing the second movement of the second viola sonata in E-flat major by Johannes Brahms.
We just heard the second movement of the E-flat major viola sonata, opus 120, number two, performed by 18-year-old violist Dylan Scott from Lansdale, Pennsylvania. I had the joy and the privilege of collaborating with Dylan over at the piano. You bring so much depth to that piece, Dylan. I love what a thoughtful musician you are. And even in our rehearsal process, I loved how much care you put into every single phrase. Thank you. Thank you. Your performance just now clearly shows the kind of beauty that that you can bring to other people. But I understand that for you, viola has also been important in a different way, which is that it's helped you get through times of, of isolation growing up. What was going on? And what role did music play for you during that time? Uh, well, uh, music has always been a uh, form of solace for me, but also at the same time, a means of expression. And, uh, you know, growing up, I've always felt that I was a little different than the people around me, my 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 peers and my friends, because um, it was hard for them to understand how I could have such uh, an affinity for this seemingly inanimate object. But for me, it was I had such a such a connection with music, and so I felt that I could, if I could be in a room um, just with my viola, I, I would feel understood. I love that you said the viola is a seemingly inanimate object, and clearly for you, it has a life of its own. Um, And, you know, I heard that a major factor in your journey to become more socially connected was your participation in musical theater. How did that all start? Uh, Around the start of eighth grade, I wasn't really connecting with my peers because I was so into my music, and so my mom, you know, one day suggested that I audition for the school show, and I I really hated that idea. So one day she basically uh, gave me this ultimatum and said, at least go to the information meeting for the show, or else I'll ground you for a week. Um, (laughs) She made you an offer you couldn't refuse. Right, exactly. (laughs) Um, And when I went into the meeting, there were these really nice ninth graders that came up to me and said, hi, we don't know who you are, but we can tell you're a great guy, so come sit with us. And I I said I couldn't sing, but I really never tried. And um, it turns out during that audition process that I discovered that I actually can sing and I love to sing. And I actually ended up getting one of the leads in the show. Um, That was one of the most, if not the most transformative experience of my life because uh, I, I really discovered that I was a lot more of an extroverted person you know, I discovered how to be sort of shameless about my identity and yeah. how to connect with other people. And and I became so connected with my fellow cast members that they're still some of my best friends today, even though I'm no longer doing theater. It's great that you learn so much from your experience with musical theater, but I know that you are just a really philosophical guy through your interest in astronomy. Yes. What draws you to space and to the study of the universe? I, I've just always sort of liked astronomy, studying what is beyond the everyday, you know, consciousness that we know as, as planet Earth. And yeah. for some people, it's just what is on Earth. But for me, it's what is out there, you know. Zooming out to this to the scale of the cosmos can really shift the way that we see ourselves and, and, and the world around us. I think you're a natural at that and that you have great perspective at, on what's important in life. Can you talk about some of the more philosophical ways that you try to approach stress and some of those difficulties that, that we all face every day? I think, well, being, being in the moment is, is very important because the past has shaped you and the future helps you determine 
where you will be and where you will go, but the present is the only means where you can do anything about either of those. That's the only thing you have control of. And so when you realize that, you realize um, how much more you have to focus on being present. Absolutely. Dylan, it's, I mean, I could sit here and chat with you all day. I love the way your mind works. I love your insight. And and thank you for sharing that with us today and, and for sharing your musicianship. Thank you. Thank you very much. Dylan Scott, 18, from Lansdale, Pennsylvania. Our next young performer got a real treat. He got to record at one of New York's landmark recording studios, the Power Station, Berkeley, NYC. A big thank you to them for hosting us there. The Power Station has been a star-studded New York recording locale for years and years. Everyone from Bob Dylan to the cast of Hamilton has recorded there. Still, the highly seasoned staff were seriously impressed with Daniel Choi, our 16-year-old oboist. Here's Daniel performing solo de concert by the 19th century French composer Stanislas Verroust. Peter Dugan here, and I'm at the piano.
16-year-old oboist Daniel Choi from Pleasantville, New York, performed solo de concert by Stanislas Verust. And I was at the piano having the time of my life over there. Thank you for that amazing performance, Daniel. I love the wide variety of color and sound that you create with that oboe. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. But music is just part of the picture for you. In fact, when asked about central inspirations in your life, you mentioned an English teacher. So who is this person and why are they inspiring to you? Yeah, so she's Miss DeRocher. Mm-hmm. And she's really inspiring to me because she, um, I had her in eighth grade and then I have her again this year for an independent study. And in eighth grade, she really made me just really interested in poetry and literature. Mm. Um, she taught me how to really appreciate works of art and and books and um, poems. And yeah, so she was just a really big inspiration for me. Would you talk to me a little bit more about this independent study you mentioned? Yeah, so it's an independent study about the intersection of music and literature mm. or music and poetry, um, which is why it's called the language of music. Right. What are some of these fertile grounds for intersection? Yeah, well, we've been looking at some examples in the past where um, composers have been inspired by writers. Mm-hmm. For example, um, there's a really famous book, Don Quixote, yep. um, and uh, Strauss wrote a tone poem, right. also called Don Quixote. So we've been looking at that and just how composers have not necessarily been inspired by the plot per se, but maybe some of the themes or maybe some of the emotions they've just been feeling sort of intuitively, that they put into music. And you write poetry yourself. Yeah, I mean, I'm not that good at it, but I do enjoy writing poetry. So. Well, before you go, would you read us a little bit of your poetry? Sure. Okay, great. What are we going to hear? We're going to hear a poem that I wrote over the summer called um, How Music Was Invented. I was part of this workshop, this writing workshop, and the prompt that we had was to come up with something that we really enjoy and try to think about how it got invented, so... That's uh, that's how music was invented, came about. I can't wait to hear this. When we, looking up from our stone hammers, muskets, and iPhones, realized there was more to life, when words became insufficient, fumbling and stumbling like a tottering infant taking its first steps, and trying to explain why we cry or whom we love or what we want, when waves crashing against the rocks and threatening the stability of our ancestors' huts became... No match for sound waves channeled through the abilities of the human body into dolce. The earliest musicians were scoffed at as their more forward-thinking companions developed governments, made bridges, flew to the moon. But, these musicians insisted, when God fashioned human, God was humming. That glorious day our creator heard the songbirds, who didn't need words to be happy, and determined that the human race needs music, a second language. Just beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that, Daniel. Thank you so much. Daniel Choi, 16 years old, from Pleasantville, New York. Nine out of ten young musicians recommend watching Daily Joy videos every day to significantly improve the quality of one's life. These Daily Joy videos feature beautiful music performances by young artists, and you can sign up for the fun at fromthetop.org. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Jack Kent Cook Foundation, providing scholarships to high-achieving students with financial need, jkcf.org. From the Massachusetts Office of Travel and Tourism, offering a new way to explore, with itineraries for arts, culture, and history in Boston and beyond. The journey begins at massvacation.com. 
And from the Arcus Foundation, dedicated to the idea that people can live in harmony with one another and the natural world. From NPR, it's From the Top, celebrating the power of music in the hands of America's kids. Coming up, the music of Frederick Chopin, performed by a pianist who, as a teenager, is already touring the world. From the Top's host, pianist Peter Dugan, is sponsored by Susan and Gerald Slavitt. The great American composer John Corleano wrote a fantastic score for the 1998 film The Red Violin. If you saw it, you'll remember that it was a sort of twisted mystery drama that traced the story of a famous violin and its various owners over the centuries. Anyhow, Corleano took some of the fantastic violin passages from the score and transformed them into a virtuosic solo violin suite that our next young violinist is going to tackle. This is 17-year-old violinist Ethan Yang from Diamond Bar, California, performing excerpts from The Red Violin Caprices by John Corleano.
17-year-old violinist Ethan Yang from Diamond Bar, California, performed excerpts from the Red Violin Caprices by John Corleano. Ethan, you play those pieces with such passion and fire, and the virtuosity never gets in the way for you. In fact, it only propels you even deeper and deeper into the piece. Bravo. Thank you so much. Can we take a moment to go back to your very beginnings in music? Because I find the way that you got started in music really moving. Uh, music first entered your life at a really turbulent time in your childhood, right? What was happening then? Well, I started the violin when I was eight years old. And um, that year, I witnessed my parents go through a divorce. And as a result of that, my mother and I moved from California to Arizona. And also, it was around that time when I discovered that I was diagnosed with Asperger's syndrome. Mm. And so it was one of the darkest moments of my life, especially if you like consider it from the perspective of an eight-year-old. Yeah. But um, wow. this one day, I um, was watching TV 
and I came upon this TV show that featured a gospel music group. But um, something about the violinists just really caught my attention. Like their sound really, um, it helped me soothe my mind and it sort of brought me into a state of peace and tranquility and calmness. Hmm. And so um, from that time on, I started to believe that um, music, especially the violin, um, was a sort of remedy for me, for my emotions, because they oh. like helped me gradually erase all the dark memories from my mind, from my emotions and all that. And so I told my mom all about this. Mm-hmm. And so from that time on, I began to take up the violin and um, that goal has never changed up to this day. Wow, that's so wonderful and such a blessing. You mentioned that, that you have Asperger's syndrome, and I'm wondering if you'd be open to sharing with me what it's like to live with that, um, maybe also how it affects your music too. Um, yes, so um, life with Asperger's. It's actually a little hard for me to, you know, communicate, socialize, and comprehend effectively. Like, when I talk to my colleagues, um, sometimes they don't understand me and I don't understand them. And it kind of just creates this misunderstanding between both parties. Um, Another difficulty is that um, even right now, I talk a little slowly. It's about the process. It's about processing information. Like, so um, when I ask, like, normal people questions, like people with normal minds, um, (laughs) for whatever reason, they seem to process info really quickly and just able to say it in, like, a split second. But, like, Mm -hmm. for me, I have to process my info, like, organize it. Like, for whatever reason, I just have a problem saying it, like, saying it through the tip of my tongue. But um, I actually do not think Asperger's or living with it is that dark at all. I see it as a gift because it helps me focus on certain matters, certain things, certain subjects that I really love doing. And it also helps me analyze matters really carefully and be a little more sensitive about my environment, my surroundings. And... Like, so a lot of times I notice that in music, I like to focus on minute details in mm-hmm. certain phrasings and trying to, like, play around with them, fix them, all that kind of stuff. And so these are just some of the positives and the... Uh... Right. Well, I have to say, I mean, you are just communicating so beautifully and openly and clearly and... And what a wonderful attitude you have, too. I mean, just to see the smile on your face as you talk about these experiences. And it makes me incredibly happy to say that you've won one of our Jack Kent Cook Young Artist Awards. Any sense of what you might do with the grant? Um, I'm very likely going to spend it all on an instrument, on a violin. Great. Well, I can't wait to hear it, and I'm sure it's going to sparkle and and sing just like your performance did today. Thank you so much. Ethan Yang, 17 years old, from Diamond Bar, California. The young performers on our show are so impressive, sometimes you've just got to see it to believe it. And that's pretty easy to do, actually. 
Just go to fromthetop.org and check out all the fun video we put out every week. Not only do we have photos and video of our young players making radio with us, we've got our Daily Joy video series, virtual concerts, raucous pop music covers, and more. That's at fromthetop.org. Peter Dugan here, and our next young performer is already having an impact as an international touring artist, even though she's still a teenager. Her name is Daniela Liebman, and since her professional debut at the age of eight, she's performed with more than 25 orchestras on five continents. Recently, I got to know her through a summer music festival, and she's become a friend of mine. And she's one of the most down-to-earth, chill people you can find, and I love her playing. Daniela is originally from Guadalajara, Mexico, but now she's living in New York City. We met up to record with her at Yamaha Artist Services in Manhattan. Here she is performing Ballade No. 3 in A-flat major, Opus 47, by Frédéric Chopin.
19-year-old pianist Daniela Liebman performed Frederick Chopin's third ballade in A-flat major. Daniela is originally from Guadalajara, Mexico, and is now living in New York City studying at the Juilliard School. Daniela, it's so good to see you again. I mean, that was last summer when we first met, and you were working on the fourth ballade at a summer program where I teach. Now, this was my first time hearing you play the third, and uh, gosh, I love all the layers you bring to the piece. It's, it sparkles, the articulation is there, but then it also has these soaring melodies and uh, is just beautiful. Thank you so much, and um, thank you for having me on the show, and I enjoyed studying with you so much, and I'm so excited to be here, and thank you. I mentioned that you grew up in Guadalajara. Would you tell me a little bit about your childhood there and how you discovered the piano? Yeah, my dad is a violinist, so I sort of come from a family of musicians on my dad's side. My grandmother's a pianist, and so my dad um, sat down, and he, he practiced with me every single day since I was five up until I was like around 11 or 12 and um and then at 10 I became homeschooled because piano just became the most important thing in my life. You mentioned that your dad would sit next to you while you practiced and from what I understand he actually would manage to do something that all parents wish that they could do which is he made practicing fun for you right how how did he manage that? He really made piano into something interactive in a way Mm. Um, I remember he um, he used to come up with this fake competition called the Wonderflunt, <laughs> and <laughs> if like he'd make it, um, he'd be like the spokesperson, and he'd invent like all these characters and participants in the competition, and um, he would just sort of be like, okay, metronome marking sixty six is the first round. Can you do it? Can Daniela even do it? <laughs> and I'd get like all excited, and um, so that's sort of how he how he did the gritty, like the hard work, how it became exciting for me. Right. And it's all taken off. And so even though you're still a teenager, you've toured a lot. And therefore, I'm sure you already have a whole slew of crazy tour stories. Uh, I heard about a wild concert in Italy. Oh, man, this one, this one, I still remember really, really well. I was playing Bach Partita number two, and I think I was around probably the same age, maybe at 12 or 13. And um, it was in this cute little hall and there were like lights on top of the piano. And um, I was just, you know, in, in, in the zone, I was just playing and co- really concentrated. And all of a sudden, like in the corner of my eye, people start getting up and people start leaving. And I'm like, oh God, is my playing that bad? <laughs> but I, I power through, um, you know, concentration sticks. And so I, uh-huh. I get up to take a bow and and I look up and I realize the lamp on top of the piano's on fire. No. Um, no. So, yeah. Then the whole concert evacuated and, and they put it out and that was interesting. I like, I like that you were aware that people were getting up and leaving, but not aware of the smoke and the flames. And I remember this from having heard you before. It's like whenever you play, you're totally in it you know you're you're totally immersed and do you feel like that's something that you love about music in general the way that it has the power to just like consume you and take over you yeah I mean that's my favorite thing about music I I love that feeling because it almost feels like once you start you can't stop it's like inevitable it's just this this pull inside you that keeps going and going right well I have to say we all felt that today with your performance of the Chopin it was really magical. Thank you so much for sharing it with us and thanks for being here. Oh, thank you so much. I'm I'm really so happy. <laughs>
Daniela Liebman, 19 years old, originally from Mexico, now living and studying in New York City. And with that, our hour together draws to a close. I want to thank all the young performers we've met on the program today, not only for sharing their music with us, but also for sharing their humanity. And to you, listening while driving down the road or drinking a cup of joe or playing chess with your uncle, thanks for being here. I'm pianist Peter Dugan. Join us to meet more exciting young artists on From the Top next week. Top is written and produced by Tim Banker, with post-production mastering and editing by senior producer Tom Vagley. Our music director is Megan Swan, and the production manager is Matt Dykman. David Norville is assistant producer. Sound design and editing by John Escobar. From the Top's executive director is Gretchen Nielsen. I'm Joanne Robinson. Special thanks to Stephen Weber, Ian Kagey, and Loudon Stearns at the Power Station, Berkeley, NYC, and to Bonnie Barrett at Yamaha Artist Services, New York. Today's program received engineering support from Ben Miller at the Power Station, Aaron Ross at Yamaha Artist Services, New York City, James Kananen at Bad Racket Recording Studios in Cleveland, Ohio, and Carl Wingate at The Village, Los Angeles. From the Top is an independent nonprofit organization based in Boston. If you'd like to appear on our program, apply online at fromthetop.org. From the Top is supported in part by an award from the National Endowment for the Arts on the web at arts.gov. Support for NPR comes from this station and from the Volgenov Foundation, supporting programs that protect the environment, educate children, and promote classical music. From Jarl and Pamela Mohn, thanking the people who make public radio great every day, and also those who listen. And from the May Family Foundation, supporting Network 2020 and connecting an international community with global thinkers and newsmakers in virtual discussions. Conversations are at network2020.org. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You know, while From the Top is distributed by NPR, it isn't owned by NPR. It's an independent nonprofit, and so we have to do our own fundraising to make it happen. Please consider making a donation to our ongoing entertainment and education programs at fromthetop.org.